0: And welcome 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 to Creativity in Focus a live video podcast where we highlight an artist and its art every single week. And today we now begin our our Creativity in Focus with uh, this week with Lisa Pavelka. How are you doing Lisa? Hi,
1: hi hey. Shamar. I'm wonderful. Hi Nash, hi everybody. A curious <laughs> Mondo and hi everybody who's watching. That's fantastic. I'm so, really excited to be here. <laughs> yes,
0: we, we had Lisa once talking about polymer clay jewelry, but she masters a lot of techniques. And today we are going to be focusing more on dressing jewelry. So do you mind, Lisa, that I show them a few pieces and you talk about it so they get to know a little bit about your style? Oh, I
1: was hoping you would.
0: <laughs> okay, so take take. let's take a look at the first picture. Lisa, if you see the picture way too small, just click on it okay. and you'll be able to see it bigger. So tell me a little bit about this one. Okay. So I, on the-
1: I'm not sure why on my screen I don't see any pictures but me. <laughs> I don't need <laughs> to see me.
0: Uh, uh, below, below, below your picture, little- you should see a tiny one. Let's see if you can a see. A tiny no.
1: one. No.
0: So what I see oh. here is a... Can you?
1: I can't see any pictures. I don't know what's going on. It's just, let me see what I can do in the view or the window. Hmm. No. No. Describe it to me. I might have that. So it's a pendant
0: that has uh, the Eiffel Tower.
1: Okay. I know which
0: one you're talking about.
1: Okay. So if you can see me on camera, does it look like that?
0: It looks similar to that one. Yes.
1: Oh, did, oh is it a square one with It's an, a, It's a no rectangle one. It. A rectangle one. I don't have that one in front of me, but I have some that are similar. So I know which one so, you're talking so why, about. So
0: why don't you show me the ones you, uh, you have so it gets easier for okay. both of us? Okay.
1: So these are two, th- this type of shape, correct?
0: Yes, exactly. Okay. Let me get some glare
1: is. off of it. Uh
0: huh.
1: So these are examples of layered resin. So um, it's quite a deep setting, which you don't have to have. We're going to talk about working with open-sided settings and and closed settings with a bezel wall and thin bezel settings and thick ones. But because when you have a thicker setting like that one there, Mm -hmm. you've got the ability to layer something like that. Sometimes I do as many as three to five layers so I can float objects over each other. I use a lot of mixed media inclusions. So they
0: get to different levels
1: so you get you get the you get the effect let's see if we can see it on this one here that things are floating mm-hmm. within the resin you can see that there's a, like a dimensional quality
0: that's very pretty
1: yeah now tell me just... one
0: thing what was your first one polymer clay or resin how how did you get started in that route well actually
1: i've been doing clay for over 30 years and I'm a big fan of dichroic glass work, mm-hmm. glass art and glass jewelry. And for people who don't know what that is, without going into too much detail, it's um, an iridescent glass form that has kind of an iridescent metallic effect with patterns or, or pieces. It's You see it a lot in fused glass beads. And uh, when it first came out, it was way expensive. So a tiny little bead might be like $50. It's more affordable now, but it's still on the pricey side. But uh, I had uh, met Paula Radke, who was one of the first big names in dichroic uh, artwork. And I wanted to replicate the effect with polymer clay. And I found um, that certain foils would release on clay and some wouldn't. And that was one of the first products in my product line that I started in the 1990s uh, because I had to research why some of these foils would work and some wouldn't. They're mylar. So that's not to be confused with uh, leafing, which is a totally Uh different metallic effect. So the foils I found out, it's the carrier they're on. Some will release on polymer clay and other surfaces. Some work with heat and some work with pressure um, and some don't. But uh, my foil line was the result of finding a manufacturer who could manufacture the colors and patterns that I wanted to have for myself and for other people for creative uses on a carrier that would release. So some of the foilers out there won't work on polymer clay. So I was getting the effect of dichroic glass somewhat. And sometimes you see it. Really, on the surface of the glass. When people don't put a clear coat of glass to fuse over the dichroic elements, it, it kind of just floats on the surface. But the foil was unprotected and it would come off the clay, especially if I, it was a piece that got some wear and tear. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get the look that it, the dimensional look of that it's lying underneath uh, like a glass surface. So I tried a lot of different uh, materials, but I couldn't get the depth. And then years and years ago, I developed with a product with another company called Polyglaze. It's no longer made, so don't look for it. And it was good, but it wasn't great. Okay. So it took like typical resins, it wasn't a resin, it was a water-based product. So it needed additional sealing and it would fog up or get gunky over time if, if it wasn't sealed properly. It took a long time to dry, about 24 to 48 hours, which mm-hmm. is like a lot of resins. And it was hard to prevent bubbles. And if you went a little too thick, you started getting cloudiness. Uh-huh. So um, we stopped work. We agreed to stop manufacturing the product because it was just really took a lot of handholding. Mm-hmm. And I was still in the search for the perfect material. And I started researching resins and different types of resins and how they worked. And um, long story short, I worked with a chemist that came up with a resin that cures with UV technology. So UV technology is different than what people think of when they, when they think of standard resins. So this resin, I told them everything I wanted a resin that I wanted to have with my name on it to do and everything I didn't want it to do. And they could do about 95% of my wish list. So I wanted a resin that wasn't toxic, number one. Now, mm-hmm. uh, some people could still maybe have a sensitivity to it, or, you know, they might need to wear gloves, but I've never really heard of that happening. I introduced it in 2005. Um, I started working with the beta samples in 2002, 2003. And in 2004, I sent it to over 60 designers and artists around the world to beta test for me and get their feedback. But it had to be non-toxic for handling. So, okay. It's not a dessert topping. (laughs) Uh, I, I wanted it to not need to mix it. I didn't want to have to measure and mix it. Um, and I didn't want it to take 24 to 48 hours to dry. I wanted to be able to work with a product that I could work with it for hours or even days, but it wouldn't set until I was ready to have it set. And the coolest part is it sets in about five to 10 minutes. Yeah. That's
0: awesome. And it's,
1: it's it, and it's it's water based before it sets, so you can mm-hmm. clean it up with a baby wipe or soap and water. That's and and you can use your you know on tools and clean your tools off. Um, but then once it's set, it's waterproof. I have rings that I wear and I wash my hands all the time with them on, and it doesn't affect the resin at all. And it's mm-hmm. very durable and strong. But you can carve into it, you can drill it, you can. Frost it. If you frost it, you don't like it. You can bring back to crystal clear. Those are Uh the kind of things we're going to show on the resin, the three-day resin course.
0: Yeah, I know. And and you know what I like about this resin is not only it it does give you instant gratification, but when you're trying to create uh, something that the process has several steps, you don't want Mm. to be waiting 24 hours for it to dry, right? No, no. I'm all about instant gratification. I like the fact (laughs) that it doesn't have a strong smell as well because yeah. some actually, resins are very
1: complicated. Right, actually there's really no discernible odor. I mean, you get mm-hmm. your bottle, your nose down in the bottle, you have to pop the little applicator tip, but okay. there's just really no odor.
0: So... Now, are, and, sorry. Oh, excuse me. Go I ahead. I want to ask you something about uh, resin as it's seen by the market, because this is what I heard, and you tell me if I'm wrong or not. I love resin. Okay. And I think Mm -hmm. you can create amazing things, and I've seen yours. But I know that there are some uh, jewelry makers that they, if you say the word resin, they don't want to do anything about it. They don't think it's jewelry if it has resin. What's your take on that?
1: Uh, You mean
0: about as as far as how difficult it is to do? No, I think they don't like the idea of combining uh, semi or precious metals with resin. Ah, They don't think it's
1: fancy I have to tell you. Um, I, I, I go to glass shows, I teach at glass shows, mm-hmm. um, and I teach different mediums, not just polymer clay, I teach metal yeah. arts and different things. Um, but uh, when I first came up with my technique for faux dichroic, I was, this was in the 90s, I was at a, a, a trade show in Chicago, and coincidentally, in the other part of the conference center, the convention center, they had a glass art trade show. And I had made some beads that I thought, kind of looked like dichroic glass, but I didn't think they were gonna fool anybody. And Uh this predated my resin. I was using a different sealant that I could give a little light polish to and it protected the foil. Mm -hmm. But when I went to, this is when dichroic glass was kind of in its infancy for artwork. And there weren't really a lot of patterns people could do. They could cut the dichroic glass sheets and arrange it but like curves were not an easy thing to do. And I had a bunch of swirls and polka dots in my my beads and I had them on my bead ho- my badge holder. And mm-hmm. a girlfriend and I went to, on my lunch break and we went to the glass show and people kept stopping me and asking me about how did I do, wh- where did I get my dichroic beads first? And then when I said I made them, they asked how did I do them? Because the patterns were not something people could do back then. Now they have uh, pre-cut dichroic and they have Um, they have decals you can use to get different patterns, but the thing is glass, even as much as I love working with glass, it's very expensive. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a lot of investment tools and materials and it's very time consuming. And the learning curves a lot steeper than it is with resin. Mm -hmm. But I was, what what shocked me the most is that I was fooling glass experts back in the nineties. And even now at the glass shows, um, Most people don't seem to have a problem with it. Um, I think what it is, is when when you encounter somebody in the art world that kind of poo poos whatever you're doing. uh, (laughs) That's something we hear in polymer clay a lot. People are like, I'm going to use my smarmy voice. That's just plastic. (laughs) Well, yeah, Yeah, but look at all the cool things I can do with it. And a lot of times I hear that from people who are working with ceramics. Mm. And usually my response to that is, well, you're just working with dirt. What's your point? (laughs) And then if they still are being kind of, you know, persnickety about it, I remind them that it's not a medium that makes something art. It's what you do with the medium that makes Uh it art. So it's the skill set and the technique. So, I mean, there's polymer clay in the Smithsonian and fine museums around the world. And there's good polymer clay and there's poorly executed polymer clay and sometimes the only difference is people just don't have a lot of practice under their belt you know it can be fine art and it can be a children's craft so Mm. the same thing with resin usually if people are really negative about it um it's it's usually because it's kind of professional jealousy i think because number one i can kind of duplicate some of the things they're doing with glass a lot easier and faster and it's usually less expensive Mm-hmm. And that's not to say there isn't a place for glass. So if I'm pricing my work, it's, it, it might be priced a little less than a glass piece would because mm-hmm. it isn't glass. But I still have to take into consideration the, the skill set and the labor. And usually with, with the mediums I work in, it's more the labor and the, the, the technique that,
0: that,
1: that justifies the pricing, not so uh-huh. much the materials.
0: I totally agree with you. And I think people also like to put themselves in boxes, right? Uh, I think they they think it's a part of preservation. I have a friend that he went to put a piece on a show of fine art, and he did an amazing portrait that is woodburn. It was not accepted because it was not considered fine art. And and you say, well, really, is it the the skill set that he put into that and the final Mm. result of the portrait that counts, or If it's wood or oil on canvas so it's complicated when we try to box every single thing oh it is and for me i mean if if people haven't done it already if you
1: google after the interview please stay with us (laughs) but after the interview if you google toothpick art you're probably going to see some you know iffy stuff but you're going to see some amazing things done with toothpicks and crayons people do the most amazing Fine art portraiture and landscapes with crayons. Mm-hmm. But usually when I, I, I run into people who try to kind of knock me down because I'm working with plastic or resin and I tell them it's the medium that makes it art, sometimes they still find a way to be kind of nasty about it. And then my response is, you know, um, children and the, well, usually the, the, the last nasty comments I've heard, I've only heard them a couple times, is that kids play with polymer clay and i'm like well kids also work with charcoals and pastels and watercolors and so does that now mean that monet's work and Degas' work doesn't have any value there's sketches and things because kids work with that medium in school when i when i taught uh, uh, art to children k through eight for a while I had them use fine art mediums. Does that now devalue it? Because you don't think children can create fine art. Mm-hmm. So that usually, that usually ends the conversation because they can't really argue with that. Yeah. And I, I did have an encounter with a woman who owned a bead store in, in where I live. Uh, it's no longer in business, but she, I, I introduced myself to her and told her I teach classes and, she, I, she asked what I taught in, and it was mostly polymer clay at the time. Mm-hmm. And she said, she got kind of turned her nose in the air, and she said, we only work with fine metals and gemstones and <laughs> glass and crystal. We don't do plastic. She was so nasty mm-hmm. to me. <laughs> and I was like, I thanked her, and I went on my way. And I usually didn't go there very often, but they were close to my house, so I had an emergency project uh-huh. I had to get done, yeah, like, like, like right away. So I went there to get the components because they were the closest – and some women were looking at a necklace I had was wearing. It wasn't this one, uh, uh-huh. but they were commenting on it. And uh, it, it involved some crystal and polymer clay. And they were all asking me about it. And where could they buy them? Or I told them I could teach them how to make them or or they could buy them from me. And I, I saw the owner's ears kind of perk Ooh, up. And she, okay. she had heard it. And she made her way over to me after I had finished uh, talking with the, these ladies. And she said, so... She looked at my neck and she goes, what is that made of? And I know she had heard the women and I talking. Mm-hmm. And I told her polymer clay. And she said, polymer clay? That doesn't look like polymer clay.
0: Uh-huh. And they
1: go, well, there's polymer clay and then there's polymer clay. It's okay. just, you know, you have a little, build a little skill and you might not even know what you're looking at. And she, at that point, she asked me for my card and if I taught. see see, she didn't remember the conversation a few years before she didn't remember me yeah of
0: course hey show us a uh, few more pieces that you made okay so
1: one that i'm probably going to be wearing when we have it i'm going to show you this ramalama ding dong piece and i'm going to tell you something very cool about it so these Ah, are all free floating pieces
0: Uh, i have it pinned
1: down to my my piece here but one of the cool things about this, well, they're, they're probably a little hard to see, so I'm going to pick up something a little bit bigger, is this was done with scrap material. Mm. I, I use scrap foils, or sometimes when I'm doing dichroic effect, I have leftover pieces with the foil already on the clay. But the coolest thing about it is a lot of people think you need to have a bezel wall to hold in. So this little guy here,
0: uh-huh.
1: a little bear, I'm trying to angle it so it's not so glary. But uh, let's see how thin he is. You could see there's no, there's nothing holding the resin. In. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, but there's there's tricks to that. There's tricks uh-huh. to how to keep the resin from overflowing, but also to get it to the edges, and that is just one of the many, many, many tips and tricks. We are going to demonstrate... And this piece uh, would last class. a
0: long time with, without having a, a backing, a metal backing or something?
1: Oh, absolutely. This piece is this piece is about 15 years old. I think you have a picture wow. of that.
0: Uh-huh.
1: That piece is about 15 years old. And you can look, it's just crystal clear. Do we,
0: do we have a picture of that that we could show, the same one?
1: I think I'll hold it up against my shirt if you don't have it. It's so beautiful. It's a little... So you could do some... We're going to talk about fun embellishments with the okay. resin before but even after you cure it it's not oh, done until you decide it's done
0: uh-huh That's and with about- other
1: resins a piece like that like these little collages mm-hmm. um i'm going to tell you a really fun story um, i was teaching in canada and they uh-huh. had a trade show it was a, a creative uh, show and there was a woman who had a booth had these beautiful beautiful resin collages and they were all set in bezels Uh, different ones than mine, but, uh, and, and I knew what she had done and her style was different than mine. They Mm -hmm. didn't look exactly like what I do, but she was doing something similar to the resin collages that I make. Mm -hmm. And I, sometimes people use my resin. We have people who bought, you know, who use it massive quantities and artists who make their living from it. And I just wanted to ask her what resin she used so I could thank her if it was mine. And so She got kind of defensive. She thought I was trying to pick her brain to steal her concept. Uh She got got very defensive, and she says, a two-part resin. You know, (laughs) she didn't want to tell me the brand. Uh But the minute she told me two-part resin, and I could see she was working in many, many layers, I knew that it took her several days to make a piece. Not because it was difficult, but because she had to let each layer of resin dry Mm -hmm. in between settings. And i looked at her and i said what if i told you you could do the same kind of work in about 20 30 minutes without having to wait days in between layers and she got very interested and i brought her a sample of my resin and now she this is the resin she used her productivity level went up uh, considerably
0: especially if you do shows that's something to consider right because on Mm -hmm. a traditional resin you're going to be waiting 24 hours to dry uh, right. So that impacts your productivity. If you're making pieces to sell in bazaars, you need mm-hmm. a certain amount of pieces to take, right? And this right. this one takes that part out of the picture. You can produce well, more.
1: Yeah. Another problem that comes into play is when you're resin setting, especially if you're in a home and you have pets or your housekeeping is at your number one priority, <laughs> while you're resin setting, it might be exposed to air and you can get, I call them surprise inclusions. (laughs) (laughs) Inclusions you don't want there. So the first rule of resin, I'm going to share it even before the class, you're supposed to pick your inclusions. They're not supposed to pick you. Yes. I'll probably repeat myself during the class for the people who aren't watching today. But, but here's the thing. Um, You can put, you know, a container or a bowl over over it while it's curing, but that can inhibit the flow of oxygen around it and that can increase your curing time. Hmm. So you know there's ways to prevent getting those surprise inclusions, but it may take longer to do your project. Um, Some of the things I'm going to share too, which is really important, I would love to say it's the only resin you would ever want to use and for a lot of people it is. And there are other resins on the market and they're, they're good resins, but some of them have drawbacks like toxicity and odor and mixing. But there are some things you can do with other resins that you can't do with mine. And there's things you can do with mine that you can't do with other resins. So I'm not here to bash any other product, but we, we're going to talk about that because I want people to know, you know, definitely the pros and there's way more pros than cons, but you should know the cons too, because you might decide, this is something where I need to use a different resin, and some people I know even use two different resins. They have to be cured before one is added to the other, but but there's cases where people like to do that as well.
0: Okay, now you mentioned that in in this case of the first pieces that you saw or that you made, uh, the resin will cure when you decide. How is that? Right. Because I don't think we are used to this concept, right? Okay. So UV curing, and we're going to go into that in depth
1: again during the class, but UV curing is either direct sunlight out in the sun, Mm -hmm. uh, not your windowsill, uh, or under a a long wave UV light. So now uh, the UV lights are getting a little harder to find because now people are going out and getting, like you think of a nail lamp. If you've got an old nail lamp, that works too, but I think we're going to have a source for people, right, that they can get it through the marketplace, where they can get a good UV light. Um, a UV light isn't like the ones that they do for, you know, gel nails. Okay, those are LED, so it's a different range. It is UV, but it's a different range. Where UV falls into three different spectrums: there's short wave, there's medium rate wave, and long wave. And with that getting too technical. The UV light, the long wave UV light that cu- cures my product, is it's referred to as in nanometers. And so far, all of the LED lights I've tested don't really work. Now, there may, they may they sometimes they say they're in the right range, the right nanometer range, but they can't be because mine will cure regardless of like it can be thirty degrees below zero. Hi to everybody in Canada and Buffalo, New York. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the t- it's not the heat. It's the temperature doesn't matter. It's the UV spectrum it's exposed to. So it can take longer to cure, um, in the winter than the summer because the UV intensity is less and the angle of the sun is not as as strong as it is in the summer. So there, there can be fluctuations in curing time. And we'll talk about that. We'll go and take a deep dive into everything they need to know and things they didn't even know they needed to know. But, um, Curing it in a window cell usually doesn't work because most windows have UV filtration to protect your carpets and draperies or window coverings. Oh, that's
0: a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: and people, a lot of people that, you know, I teach a lot in, in warmer climates like here in Las Vegas or California or Arizona mm-hmm. and people are like, we don't need a UV light. And I don't try to push anything down anybody's throat. You either need it or you don't. You mm-hmm. like it, or you don't. But most people who like the resin, they start using the sun, but when do most people create?
0: Yeah, they, uh, inside their studio, during, during at, the
1: night. At, at night, because a yeah. lot of people have jobs during the day. So they get home and then they've got to cover the piece to keep it from getting dust or pet hair in it. And then hope they can rush it out into the sun before they get the kids off to school or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, even when you, if you have access to sunlight 360 days a year like I do... Sometimes there's the occasional rainy and cloudy day, even where I live. But even more important, there's the occasional windy day. And that brings us back to unwanted inclusions. Yes. <laughs>
0: so I, I oh, the mosquito. Ooh.
1: I wanted that in my brain. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, Lisa, I have a few comments and questions here. Don Foltz is saying hi from Winnipeg, Canada. Uh, Helen, hi from Florida. Sandy, your pieces are so gorgeous. Where do you glean the most inspiration from? Oh, my gosh. I I love that question. I get a
1: lot. I feel like, um, you know how they talk about with cell phones and technology that were Uh bombarded with um, stimuli. I kind of feel like I'm constantly bombarded by creative stimuli. Mm -hmm. Um, I color. I I look at colors and arrangements of colors, uh, patterns, um, nature. Artists that have come before me, even Mm -hmm. the things that I I create, that I I will say are my original pieces. Nothing comes from nothing. Mm -hmm. We're all inspired by something. So ownership isn't super important to me. That's why I'm happy to teach and share what I do. Um, But my inspiration can vary from one day to the next. Sometimes I want to do something with a real natural effect, and other times it's more about the pattern. Mm -hmm. So. That, that fluctuates a lot for me, but my inspiration is never ending. And because I'm so overwhelmed and so bombarded by inspiration everywhere, I'm always jotting notes and I'm texting myself all the time on my okay. cell phone uh-huh. or drawing little sketches. But I keep a notebook of inspirations because heaven forbid, if I ever do run out of ideas, I just have to open up that book and <laughs> I've got more than a lifetime's worth of things to try.
0: That's fantastic. Uh, Suzanne Barr is saying hi from Switzerland. Ibrahim Bechara is saying, hi all. What resin brand are you talking about? Okay, can I say it? Yes, you can. I don't have have a bottle for me.
1: (laughs) It's Magic Gloss. And that's my product. It's Magic Gloss. It comes in two different sizes. It comes in a one-ounce bottle. And we'll talk about that on the class. But a one-ounce bottle, depending on how big your piece is, if you're working with a setting, how deep it is, but I could probably do about 15 or 20 pieces like that with one. With the
0: small one. Wow.
1: Yeah. With the metal one. And that's with layers. Uh And then you can dome. you could dome it up high or inside of a setting. You can just leave it. So it's flat, like a glass, like lens, or if you underfill something with a sidewall, you'll get a concave effect. It'll pull up the sides. So um, you can even on this piece, this is polymer clay with some foil scraps. I don't know if you can see, I'm going to turn. So you see, there's only one shiny spot. You can even just use it to accent things it doesn't it not just on polymer clay but on metal clay and other things i just use it as an accent
0: okay so i don't
1: okay. always cover everything with it some things with a lot of ridges or height differentials you might not be able to cover unless there's sidewalls to protect it um sometimes i don't want to cover everything sometimes even in a setting on my last layer if i'm doing layered work I want one of my inclusions, like a little charm or an element to be coming up out of the resin. So I get a dimensional effect.
0: Okay, I'm sorry, I have some noise here. I'm trying to get that out. But uh, you can go, oh, we'll go question. ahead, another question. Yes, I do, but you, you were going to say something. Go ahead. I was gonna say, you can even go really,
1: really thick. You can see there's nothing mm-hmm. holding this in. We're gonna uh-huh. talk about how to do that too. And, but when the thicker you go, the more of a magnifying, kind of quality you get. Mm -hmm. So there's no loss of clarity. I objects that I put in the resin that are maybe down a quarter of an inch below the surface, they look like they're right under the surface. Mm -hmm. Optically, they come up. In fact, a really funny story about the resin is sometimes I answer about a dozen emails a week on my resin because a lot of people don't follow the instructions or they don't have the benefit of a class. Uh But one of the One of the things I get is people will write me in a panic and say they put crystals in the resin and I'll bring some samples for when we're doing the class, but they they say that the resin melted their crystal and it doesn't melt crystal.
0: (laughs) It's an optical illusion. Oh, okay. So remember
1: I said it magnifies, it makes things look like they're right under the surface. So it's an Uh optical illusion. So we're talking about, for instance, a a Swarovski crystal, a flatback crystal and tiny, teeny tiny crystals. What happens is optically the light refracts through the resin and it almost makes it, it pulls it up. It pulls the, the, the look of the crystal up. So it looks like a tiny flat mirror. Awesome. So if you put a pink, uh, flat crystal in there, you won't see the facets. It's going to look like a shiny pink mirror inside yeah. of your resin, okay. which is a cool effect if that's what you were trying to achieve, <laughs> not, a and not as a surprise. Tool. Yeah. Very now, good. Now large, large, large crystals actually still look like crystals under the resin mm-hmm. um, but one of the things we'll, we'll teach people to do is how to embellish the resin from the surface we'll talk about how to add crystals so that you mm-hmm. can see all the facets and the sparkle yes so beautiful. those that's another tip and trick we'll demonstrate in the class so you can see that's Phenomenal. dimensional
0: uh-huh. uh-huh very cool joanne is asking what is the favorite resin piece you've done and why Oh my gosh! Um,
1: Well, that necklace is is probably I probably have some that are tied. That necklace I really like because I I think of it as a showstopper because whenever I wear it I get stopped a lot. Um, This piece I made my own bezel out of polymer clay. I'm going to show you the bezel first, and we can even in the class. I think for you were asking me about fast track. Do I want to do a fast track? What a silly question. So for the people who get the class and we have the it's the club right. Yeah, the Curious Mundo club. club gets the fast yeah. track. Um, we could do one: on how to make your own bezel settings out of clay.
0: Okay, fantastic!
1: Nice, crisp, clean bezel settings. But this piece was all made from scraps. I, I get people who mm-hmm. want to buy it off me all the time, uh-huh. and sometimes I sell my jewelry off my neck, <laughs> and sometimes I'm just too I'm I'm too enamored of my own piece that I probably will never get rid of it. That and occasionally, so sometimes I've had a piece for years, and I'm like, okay, I can, I can let it go, like my children. Fly, uh-huh. be free. <laughs> um, gosh, I have so many kind of favorites, but those two are some of my favorites. This is one. This is actually one of my settings. Um, it's it's I call it a peekaboo setting. It's mm-hmm. clear glass; you can see through oh, and through.
0: Uh-huh. So all the
1: objects are floating.
0: Oh, that's gorgeous!
1: Through the different layers, and then the bezel setting, which was metal, I just embellished around it with uh, with um, some clay to get that striped effect.
0: That's good. Uh, Pietro is saying that's a great tip about not putting on the windowsill. Ibrahim, uh, do you think UV stabilizer or urethane could solve the yellowish? Um, yellowing with my resin actually
1: occurs when it gets overexposed to UV light. So if I'm doing multiple layers, I'm curing it for at the most five or ten minutes a layer. Mm-hmm. Um Urethane, if you can find a UV protectant that's compatible, that goes over the top with the resin, that might help. Usually my pieces don't yellow. And in fact, the resin is technically bakeable with polymer clay. I I baked it in the oven, but even though the formula doesn't change and my temperature is stable because I calibrate my oven with multiple thermometers, Mm -hmm. sometimes it yellows a bit and sometimes it doesn't. So if you're going to... Add polymer clay around a piece of resin that you've already cured um y- you might get a yellowing effect now with the foils or certain colors it can make the color pop more but sometimes it yellows and sometimes it doesn't and i've done tests where i've same temperature baked for the same amount of time with the same material and um I I don't know. I can't explain why. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like my foils. Why sometimes they fade, but we can bring them back. We'll show the tips and tricks how to make the color pop again, Mm -hmm. especially if you're going to put resin on it. The one thing I can tell you that differentiates my resin from other resins is it's not compatible with certain materials. If there's a water base or a solvent base, it may not cure properly or make cure on the top and look like it's cured, but over time it can fog or look like it's crackling underneath. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sep- sometimes they'll separate and it'll still be goopy on the underside. Uh, we're going to go, we're going to go into depth exactly. about that exactly. too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people will know what they need to do. If they're working with a water soluble item or an item that can be damaged by water, how they mm-hmm. can seal it, the different options they have. Okay. So, just to, even though it's a super easy product to work with and the learning curve's relatively slow when you actually are handling it, there's a lot of tips and tricks that are essential to making this really fast and really easy and really fun.
0: <laughs> uh, Guest 8502, does your product have an expiration date? I bought a bottle a while ago. Okay. So yes, it does. So I don't know how
1: long a while is. Maybe you can fill me in on a while. So like all glues and other resin products they have a shelf life so generally we tell people about a year from when you purchase it so don't buy a six ounce bottle if you're not sure you're going to use it we even people who've never used it before i recommend that they try a one ounce bottle and what what it does and and i'm going to tell you a couple things that's very cool about it it's going to get thicker over time like glues well or other two-part resins even uh, epoxy clay has a shelf life. So, um, I, I haven't really found that keeping it in the refrigerator like some glues makes a difference. I've had some bottles that have lasted me three years. Uh, I I recommend getting a cool dry place, even though it's in a light proof container. Um, that seems to help. We can't guarantee it for three years, but, um, if you end up, if you've already bought it, um, go visit my website and contact us through there. Uh, if, if you've had it for six years, they probably won't replace it. But if you've had it for two or three years and it got hard or even less than a year, obviously you're not going to be able to take it back to where you bought it, even with a receipt, mm-hmm. but we will take care of you because I want you to be happy with yeah. my products. Yeah. So wherever you get them, if, if it's too late to get help with it, um, like I said, six years might be pushing it, but you know, I want you to be happy if you're not happy you're not going to work with it so um, we do guarantee it for up to a year the thing is you could have bought a bottle that has been warehoused or shelved for two years somewhere you don't know but you bought it you know a month ago Mm -hmm. so a store should take it back because they can always come back to my company and get it replaced but um within a reasonable period but here's the cool thing it starts to get thicker as it cures and it's like honey um, I have a little tip and we'll share it again. I pop the little cap off or if the larger bottle lines screw the cap um, mm-hmm. and you can microwave it for five to 10 seconds at a time and check it. You don't want to do it more than that. You don't want to burn it or boil it, but uh, it, to be safer. What I really recommend the most is take boiling hot water, pop the cap and set it in like a shallow glass or bowl glass bowl or glass or mug and let it sit for a few minutes um, for, for a year or two usually after when it starts the thickening process it's like honey if you've ever done that with honey it'll soften it and it will be uh, the viscosity will be thinner so it'll run better um, the problem is when it starts to cool it thickens up and usually heat has nothing to do with curing it but as it cools it goes back to that thickened state so you have to work with it pretty quickly now I actually age the resin like fine wine. I get a, a light proof container and I pour resin in and I try to age it for a year or two, let it thicken. Because a lot of times I can take out a little scoop, even a dollop, and I can really do go very, very high. I can get very high rounded cabochons where when the resin's fresher, you can only go so high before it's gonna overflow whatever edge is sitting on, sitting on. So I I kind of play with it and have my own various viscosities of the resin or thicknesses of the resin. But at some point, it's going to get rock hard and even water or putting it in the microwave isn't going to soften
0: oh, it more. again. But that's a great tip that you just gave. Fantastic. And we'll go over that again, too. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're, we're going to have that in handouts.
1: So it's going to be, right. you know, a lot of times the people get the classes. They don't want to go back to the point. They have the class and there's things they definitely want to watch again or mm-hmm. review, or watch for the first time, because maybe you were at work, but for but there's going to be a inform, informational handouts that you can download and print, and you yes. could just quick reference.
0: It's like so a we'll quick reference guide, yeah. Suzanne yeah. Barr, how can you stop it from pulling away from the rim? Oh my gosh, that's a question I get all the time. Hi,
1: Suzanne Barr. <laughs> um, so what you'll get in the directions and, and, and the information about my product is if it's an open sided piece, like this little leaf here, how cute that is, I can make about 30 of those in an hour from start to finish. Wow. And I dangle little crystals from the bottom or put the crystals in the surface. Um, the bigger the piece, the more layers it's going to take, but you can't just pour on one layer unless there's a lot of surface texture or tooth, because that's, what's going to hold up on the edges. What happens is, even if you pour a bunch on so much that it'll go to the edges, but it's not overflowing. And we're going to show you tricks about how to prevent overflowing or what to do if it does overflow. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's going to go to the edge and you're going to take it out of the sun or the light. And if it's a smooth, flat surface, it's going to pull in from the edges. And that's Suzanne's probably experienced that. So what happens is you need to add thinner layers and build it up and go to the edges because eventually Usually on, on a, a small piece, it only takes two layers, maybe three. Um, on a bigger piece, it might take four or five layers. But what we do is, and I'm going to stress this constantly in the class, we always add the product from the center or wherever you want the resin to be. And we spread it out. And there's a lot of reasons why. I'm not going to go into all of them now, but mm-hmm. I will in the class. But we spread it out. And what it does, it's designed to dome. It wants to dome. That's where we get these lovely, let me find a piece that's got a really nice cabochon finish on it here. Um, this whole dog tag, I don't know if you can, well, there's not as much height on there as I want. Um, this piece has a nice, nice level of cut. You can see the resin on the surface
0: see, yes. uh-huh.
1: sitting up really high. Um, sometimes rounded pieces. So here's a neat piece. I made this with a washer like from a hardware store. And I only, I, I could have carried it out to the edges, but I wanted to contain it within there. So I, I could add another layer, but it would probably kind of force it over onto the metal. So I could only go so high, but I still have a nice, a nice rounded dome on mm-hmm. it just like that. Very cool. So what, what happens is it's designed to dome. If you bring it up to a bezel wall and you bring it just right to the very top and no higher, it's going to cure like a flat lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, if I don't, fill it all the way up, I get it near the wall, but not right at the edge. It's gonna kind of pull up the sides because it's the opposite of the doming. It wants to it wants to form itself either on a dome or in a, a concave effect. Um, if it's underfilled along along an edge. So when when you add that second layer or even a third layer or more, what you're doing is you're adding it from the middle. It's gonna self-level. So you add enough to do what I call like term it flood Uh, flood coating. So you're flooding the surface with a coat that will self level. So it's enough to kind of go over those edges, but not over the, the outside edge of whatever we're covering. So we'll show all the tips and tricks for how to do that. um, And you'll see it live in action happening in real time, or to go back and and watch it if you've purchased the class. But um, what happens is surface tension, like the pressure on the surface Um, from our barometric pressure in the air and gravity force it to fill in the gap. So I've had people, when I first started doing it, I used to try to go around that outside edge with a little bead of the resin. And what I ended up getting was this effect, a little ridge followed by the cabochon effect. And I didn't want that. I wanted just a continuous smooth doming action. So I, I, I learned how to do that. I figured a lot of stuff. It took me a few years to figure out all these tips and tricks. And I'm still learning about the product. Yes. But um, but I, I think I've got most of the cool stuff you need to know down. And um,
0: <laughs> do the you, do, do you oh. mind if we show? I know you cannot see the pictures, but I would like to show five of the pieces so they can see really close. Okay. And if okay? you describe it
1: to me, I can probably yes. I might have it in front the, of me and I can. The first
0: one is it. actually the one that you showed as one of your favorite necklaces that that uh-huh. has the scraps. I want yes. them to show in the big format here. Gorgeous. So that one you already explained. The next one. Oh, it's uh, it, kind of a feather shape necklace, also with scraps. It's not really feather; more like a drop upside down. Is it's it? It's a big is it one. one. No, it's is a big it that- necklace. It's a full necklace. Has oh, okay. one, two, three, oh. four, five pieces.
1: Okay. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I um, can don't, see really
0: big. They can see. Really I,
1: big. I, you know, I've got like at the bottom of my window here. Yeah. So click on that. I've got, like, I, I've got a four screen and nothing happens and a one screen and then it says film.
0: Okay. Uh, That's okay.
1: And it's funny because I saw you when we started, but all that went away.
0: That's okay. I don't know. I just want okay. them to, to see the pieces. So this is a gorgeous one. Is a, f- a necklace. Then there is a pendant that looks like he has like, like, like a zipper open inside. Beautiful, uh-huh. beautiful. And one more. And now it's a heart. There's also a necklace with a mesh a string of some oh. type. And yes, very, very, it looks like oh, you, know,
1: you know what? What? I just realized I can, uh, I've got my iPad here. <laughs>
0: Oh, oh that's, sorry, that's, that's Baxter. I just wanted them to see <laughs> Baxter and Amazon. Yeah, um, I just wanted them to see. From oh, I can actually look at the pictures because. No, because now yeah. we took it away. Okay. <laughs> sure. So I have a question from Vanessa to you. Do you mostly uh-huh. sell your pieces or give them to friends and family? I sometimes right. have a hard time asking for money. Okay. So,
1: um, I used to be, when I first started in my art career, well over 30 years ago, I was strictly a production artist. Um, and then a couple of years and I started teaching classes out of my house and it just kind of snowballed. Everything I, wasn't a plan. My plan was to go back to my first career in television, but I make pieces for family. Um, I, I give pieces just as gifts of some, but sometimes, you know, just, it hits me right. And I just want to gift people. But, um, if people want to pay you money, if they look at your work and they want to buy it, um, especially if they're strangers, absolutely feel good about, you know, that that's very high praise. I, I, I'm I always so flattered that people want to buy my work. Not that I don't think it's worthy of selling, but just that somebody liked it enough to spend their hard-earned money on, on what I created. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's kind of like self-promotion when you're a working artist. They're very hard things to wrap your head around. And I don't like to self-promote, but in order to be successful, whether you sell your work or you teach or whatever, you have to get kind of comfortable with people, you know, wanting what you do. And if it's good enough to if they like it, that's you know. I think there's other than getting the love of your family and friends. There's very few things that make me walk on cloud nine more than somebody saying, "Wow," and I buy your work.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Maria from Sweden, uh, Lisa, I love your work. Everything you do is amazing. Looking forward to your class. Hope I can find and buy your resin in Sweden. Do you know if it's distributed there? If it, Well, it's, it's distributed around the world. And uh, yeah,
1: interestingly enough, I have very little to do with the business of my business. Um, <laughs> I'm too busy creating. So if she contacts my website, which is, can I say lisa,
0: yes. Pavelka. yeah, go
1: ahead. Go ahead. lisa yes. pavelka.com if you contact them somebody should get back to you and tell you where the nearest place to get it from That's would be fantastic
0: any final pieces you want to show or talk about
1: oh yeah so um people talk about molds and mm. two-part resins are generally what people uh have the best success in with molds we'll talk about the molds that work well and the molds that don't work well and the molds that don't work, well that don't work at all with resin but um this is a fun piece. See what that is? Oh, any guesses? Yes. Let's see if we can get anybody watching to guess what's it's in a, this bracelet.
0: What's inside? Yeah. I'll get out of the Any takers? They they see with a delay, so. OK. Yeah. What, what how you? about you, Shahar? Or anybody
1: else there at Curious Mondo? Anybody know
0: <laughs> what that is? Well, Beats maybe? Plastic what? points. Okay. I know. Tell me, tell think me. About, think about dessert. What, I, uh, you just faded for a second. Oh, think about dessert. <laughs> dessert. Oh, sprinkles, like those sprinkles! little and Sprinkles! sprinkles!
1: <laughs> really? <laughs> and then this is, uh, I call this um, fool's gold on one side. It's kind uh-huh. of like a iron pyrite flake. And then I have glitter. On the
0: other.
1: Oh, look at that. I, I'm still working on polishing that side, but mm-hmm. this side looks good. Yes. Those are fine. And then we uh, somebody mentioned, you know, about working with fine metals and stuff. Well, these are se- se- semi-precious brass and copper, but this is a piece where the focal point was made uh, on, I have soldered elements and hand-sawn elements and textured on uh, brass and copper.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it's, there's a little focal stone. That's got a a little bit of a bezel, but I made the stone before I made a silver bezel, but then I, I tacked it. I only put a bezel from one side, tacked it down with Uh a swirl of, um,
0: and then one that I
1: showed you, that was fun. um, That's just, this is just a tin, you know, you can get at your craft store Mm -hmm. to keep little treasures in that was also made with Uh scraps.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: So you can see that's got When a clay. you
0: mention the scrap, you're talking about foil, correct?
1: Uh, polymer clay.
0: Polymer so that's clay.
1: polymer, but I use epoxy clay. We're going to go in the class, we're going to talk about different mediums uh-huh. that we use to embellish underneath. Um, the uh, Polymer clay, but sometimes people just take my foils and cut them and up cut. and layer okay. them. But that's usually when I use polymer clay, it's just for a background. This is a real fun one. So this has little polymer clay canes, little Mm -hmm. slices of flower canes. Let's see if I Mm -hmm. can. Yes. And it's got some little charms in there and some findings. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, I did a background where you see the lettering in the background.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: I, I stamped on the clay before I baked it. And I made the whole piece in the background. But then I started adding all the inclusions that you see in the background, the flowers, the word love. Those were all, uh, we're probably in the bonus going to talk a little bit about how to make some of your own small inclusions because sometimes it's hard to find little things with letters and other That's times right. um, it's, uh, it, it's expensive mm-hmm. and it's hard to find a lot of, you know, source all those cute little things. But um, hopefully I can introduce a few things through your marketplace. We can talk <laughs> about that later. Yeah. Uh, guess 7-
0: 7904, do you have to polish the resin? No, no,
1: it's just, it's just sharp and clear, but we're going to talk about frosting it. You can carve it. But the cool thing is if you do, we're going to talk about how to prevent bubbles and we're going to talk about a fix bubbles, but magic gloss is less prone to having air bubbles than two part resins because mm-hmm. it's a little thinner. But we're going to show you how to prevent them because it's easier to prevent a bubble than it is to fix it. Yeah, fix it. But we're going to show you how to fix it too
0: because it really excited. is like magic. <laughs> I'm excited to see the carving on resin. That sounds very interesting. Oh, and then one of the bonus classes. Can I tell them what
1: one of the bonus classes is going to be? Yeah, sure. I forgot to grab it. Oh, my bad. Um, <laughs> we're going to show you how to make um, faux sea glass.
0: Ooh, really?
1: Yeah, really cool sea glass yeah Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. that's very cool and she's talking about uh, the class so she's coming to curious Monday in August for a class on resin jury the page for registration is already there and maybe you don't know this but every time we go live with a course it is free for you to watch the whole course so you don't want to miss that make sure you register so you get the reminders and you're here because you can interact with Lisa and ask questions during the whole process and I I'm sure we are Taking resin jewelry to a whole new level now. Oh, I, I hope so. I, I feel
1: like <laughs> we are. I hope I hope everybody who's watching uh, takes the class does as well. Yeah. Because it, it's almost like there's going to be bonus within the even before the bonuses, because we're going to be talking about other mediums mm-hmm. and mixing it. And two, that will give people ideas. Um, it give you inspiration for maybe things you haven't tried. I'm even going to show about how to make cool charms with fabric.
0: Oh, really? That is yeah. very exciting. It that very... Into a, like
1: a durable
0: pendant or
1: a charm or. Nice. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. Are there any final words that you would like to leave today?
1: Um, my final words are, well, thank you, everybody who's watching. I know it's not the most convenient hour for, <laughs> for a lot of people around the world. Um, I hope you'll join me. And Shahar and the rest of the Curious Mondo crew. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm honored to talk about it. If, if I seem excited, it's because I really am. <laughs> I don't know how many thousands of pieces I've made with resin. Um, and it's not all going to be about polymer clay. It's going to be about different things. Like we just said, fabric and some other mm-hmm. things. But uh, it's, I, I never get tired of it. it to, every time I do it, I, I, there's a little
0: voice inside my
1: head that says, I can't believe you just made that. <laughs> so I hope you, you all join me and learn how you can get that feeling about resin too.
0: You know, I really think that your, if your experience with resin jewelry is getting a mold, put a, a dried flower, and pouring resin, we are going to take you to a whole new journey here. You saw the sophistication of her pieces. So, again, curiousmondo.com, you can register to watch the whole class for free. The whole course actually has nine classes. So, we are going to cover a lot of stuff. So, do so. Thank you so much, Lisa, for being here. I'm excited to have you in Salt Lake again. Really excited to see you. I am too. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? I'm gonna bring my mustache, I mean, my husband. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) I'm excited to meet him. And you too. Thank you so much for being here with us and interacting with this podcast. Remember, it stays wherever you're watching right now. So you can tell other people to watch and get inspired. You never know just by telling somebody, go watch this podcast that you may put them in a whole new journey in their lives. So do that. And we appreciate if you leave a thumbs up, a heart or a review. It always helps us uh, create more visibility out there. And I'll see you back here next Tuesday. Thank you. Thank you.